up everybody this is grant at cause artist today we are chatting with alex stephanie the founder of beam and beam is a amazing platform that allows us as individuals to crowdfund and help um, homeless individuals get back their lives and and gain skills um, to get a job in the workforce um, i don't want to go through how it works because alex does a great job of that in the interview but essentially the idea is Beam helps um, individuals, they work with organizations to find individuals that are capable of, of being trained and being educated in a certain skill that they want to do. So they sit down with uh, a homeless individual and they ask them what their goals are and what they want to achieve. And, and through that, they match them with a company or a skills training organization to get them trained. And that training comes from us as a community um, for as little as five thousand dollars or five thousand pounds we can you know change a person's life um so if everybody you know puts up 25 bucks or 10 bucks right we can sort of end homelessness ourselves without sort of depending on um anything else and so it's a really fascinating idea i think and fascinating conversation about how technology has been made for and like alex alludes to in the interview technology has really been made and innovated for people who have the ability to to buy things right for people with higher level skills and training and you know basically middle income and up uh you know the ubers and netflixes and uh ebays and amazon all these technologies are really made for for people with uh, wages right that that can really spend money and, and, and enjoy these these amazing technologies. And Alex has a, a background in a tech startup that has raised a ton of money, millions of dollars. And he took that philosophy and said, why can't we build technology for the people that are the most disadvantaged in our community? Just as good as technology as we all use, why can't we create that uh, for people that are less fortunate than us at this moment in their in their lives? Um, so I think it's, a, it's an amazing platform that can scale and really help every community in the entire world. And I think that's the mission that Alex and his team are, are on and the, and the mission that they strive to achieve. So I think we all deal with, with homelessness in our cities and we all feel like there's something we can do. But, you know, with the, the cashless economy, I, sometimes I, I grab, you know, five extra ones and I, I always have them on there on me in case I do see somebody I can help out. But still, I mean, what does five dollars do? when you know a person needs much more than that right even if it's just uh there has to be a better way to to help individuals out of the state that they're in so i always deal with it personally um i wish i always carried more cash but i'm very bad at it i'm very very bad at carrying cash um and you know homeless individuals don't have like you know a square app or something where you can donate via a debit or credit card or something so i think that this is an alternative and something that could scale at a massive level that can help every single community in the world and can really allow us as individuals to give that five dollars um, via the beam platform but if it's thousand people giving five dollars we can literally change that person's life and not change it where they're we're just giving people money right that never works we, we see that that doesn't work but it actually educates them and gives them the skills they need to to be an electrician right to be a plumber to be something um, that they feel proud of and then they can give back to society and have economic value and uh, that that just uplifts every community 
Um, so I really hope you guys enjoy the interview. Uh, I hope you take some time out to visit the Bean platform and, and check out Alex's uh, TED Talk. It's, I mean, that that, it, that really kind of encapsulates everything. But do it after you listen to this, of course. <laughs> but hope everybody's having a great day and have a great week. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. The first thing that I usually like to start with is um, an individual's journey on on how they sort of come to to find their their life's work, so to speak. And right now, it seems like Beam is sort of your life's work right now. And it's something that you're, you're truly passionate about. So what was the sort of catalyst for, uh, you know, starting Beam? So about three years ago, I became friends with a homeless man who would sit on the steps of my local tube station. And I would buy this guy um, cups of coffee and pairs of socks. But I could kind of see his condition really getting worse before my eyes at one point he disappeared for about seven weeks and then when he reappeared he looked absolutely terrible um his his kind of big beard had been shaven off but he just looked like 10 maybe 15 years older and i went up to him and i said what's happened where have you been and he says been in hospital had a heart attack so we kind of spoke and you know walked home i was just walking home it just hit me so hard that you know i've been trying to help this guy Probably other people have been trying to help him as well. And yet he was in a much worse condition than when we first mm. met. And why did that need to be the case? Just seemed like a massive failure of coordination on our part. Clearly what this guy needed wasn't another cup of coffee. It was the mm. skills, the confidence, the support. So he could get into work and buy himself the coffees, the socks, the hundred other things that we need in our day-to-day lives. Uh, and when we first met, he told me that he'd been kind of out of work longer than he could remember. And that really struck me as, as, a, as a tragic and unnecessary thing because, sure, he was, he was a, a, definitely a troubled man with challenges, but, like, opportunities for him in, in an economy, particularly an economy that, you know, is pretty, pretty thriving with pretty low unemployment like we have, unfortunately, in the UK. So I sort of thought, well, actually, if he needs all of those things, it's going to cost more than a cup of coffee. But, you know, the next thought was, what if we all just chip in? Like, what, can we crowdfund mm-hmm. these things? And my background is, is, is running tech companies. And the last company I, I ran, we did a crowdfunding round. And we've now raised more than 10 million pounds through crowdfunding for this business. So I just thought, well, that's a lot of money. Well, actually, maybe we can just crowdfund a much smaller sum of money to make effectively life-changing investments in people. It's going to matter so much more. And so that was the initial idea. And then I began reading as much as I could about homelessness. And the first thing that really shocked me was that for every one person we see on the streets, like that man, there are 30 other in homeless hostels and other types of homeless accommodation. So I thought, wow, this problem is much, much worse than I, than I thought. And this big group of people out there that I don't know about, that have very poor economic opportunities, but also like they might be quite helpable because... It might be very unstable and it might be pretty unpleasant, but like they do have a roof over their heads. They have a place to sleep. They have a place where they could, you know, take a shower and charge a phone. Right. So I went and I met as many homeless people as possible. And I met as many people working in homeless charities as possible from you know, caseworkers to CEOs. And I basically said, look, I have an idea. Can we crowdfund training for homeless people and then support them into, into, into skilled work? And some of the charities were really interested in this idea. So fast forward a couple of months, I'm in a homeless hostel in South London, and I'm sat opposite a man called Tony who wants to become an electrician, but he can't afford the training. Mm-hmm. And I explain how this model will work, and he 
listens very carefully and he says nothing the entire meeting apart from one time he plucks up the courage to say Alex can I ask you something and I say yes Tony you can ask me anything and he goes I don't understand what don't you understand Tony he goes I don't understand why would anyone help me mm. and I look at him and I say I honestly I can't promise that they will I'm not going to make that promise right. to you but I think they will I think there are a lot of people out there who care about people like you and I think if we make it easy for them to help you I think we're going to see just what a pool of human compassion and empathy exists in our community and so mm -hmm. he kind of looks at me like I'm a bit crazy and um <laughs> he trusts me enough to give this a go and we and we visit the training centers in London we meet this guy who would teach Tony to be an electrician if we can raise the money and then I decide okay well, we've got to get this campaign funded so we mm -hmm. we have this basic website but he needs to raise about three and a half thousand pounds so I pick up the phone and speak to some journalists and it becomes a pretty major national news story it becomes one of the top stories on Sky News one of the top stories on BBC News it's covered like at least 20 times in the UK it's covered all around the world actually Mm -hmm. and we raise the money that Tony needs and what happens next Tony starts his electrical training Tony gets his electrical certificate and today for the first time in about 20 years he's in work working on um, commercial building sites as an electrician in London earning good money life transformed in his own place and what we've been doing for the past two years at Beam is basically building both the technology and the operational model to help ultimately millions of people like Tony in cities all around the world. When you speak with with certain individuals, Tony seemed, and maybe maybe this is totally wrong, but he seemed to know what he wanted to do. Right? Is that is that normally the case? That seems like it would make the process a little bit easier if you if if they know what they want to do, you can match them up with a company, nonprofit. To, to help that happen. But if, if a person doesn't know what they want to do, right? Like they, like you said, if somebody's out of work 20 years, technology has extremely passed them by, right? There's some, there's some other hurdles you need to get over if, uh, if an electrician is not sort of what, sure. what they're, so how does that process <laughs> yeah, it's work? A, it, it's a great question. And about half of people know what they want to do. It might awesome. be because they've always wanted a job. It might be because they did this job before some kind of disruption in their life, um, mm -hmm. or maybe there's a role model in their family and they've always wanted to be a carpenter or an accountant or whatever. Some people are less clear and we uh, do a session with them, which helps them kind of discover what it is that they could be doing and presents them with some options. And we sort of educate them about what might be out there. What's also really useful is we've now um, supported people into sort of 43, I think it is career pathways. Wow. So people can actually look on the website and really be inspired by people and go, well, right, here are the, I think there's like 17 people now who've become electricians. They can read their stories mm. and they can, you know, form a kind of a view on, you know, okay, this person had this kind of background and they've done this and that's worked out pretty well for them. But so there's a sort of education process that goes on. We also do a, a, a kind of a task with them where we ask them about what is most important, what are they looking to get out of this experience? And it can be increased earning power, it can be confidence, it can be support networks, it can be learning new skills, and there's a couple of other things as well. We effectively then sort of rank those things. And that again can drive prioritization because if we know that learning new skills is super important to them um, and maybe making money is less important to them, that can help steer the, you know, the conversation. And for, for me, Beam is working so well and it's now working 80% of the time to get really hard to help people 
into Skillwork. And the reason it is working so well is because it's this kind of hybrid model that has a lot of technology and data that's driving it. And that is creating a lot of scalability and a lot of efficiency. But at root, it's a very personalized model. Now, if we were working with you, Grant, we would do something quite straightforward, which is we would sit down with you. We would get to know you and the risks in your life. And we would plan around those risks whether they're mental health or substance misuse or whatever they are. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing we do is we'll build a personalized career plan that is built around your strengths and your ambitions. And this is all predicated on the idea that there is no such thing as the right job for everyone. Right. Everyone will do really poorly in certain jobs. And I know this from my experience, and you probably do from your parents, but absolutely thrive in other jobs. And so there needs to be this level of personalization if we're going to, A, get people into jobs and B, make sure that they remain in those jobs and they thrive in those jobs. How how difficult was it? It seemed like it might be, you said you went to, to nonprofits and, and charities and, and they sort of responded pretty well, right? How did companies respond in the same way? Was it more difficult to get companies on board with this stuff? Because I mean, those those are really who you need to to really step up and be like, Yes, we will, you know, hire somebody who hasn't been, you know, and work in 20 years and train them. And I mean, they're really taking taking the lead on a lot of this stuff. It seems yeah. it would seem like. I, I think companies have been really supportive and we're contacted by companies who want to work with us pretty much every day now. Nice. For me, the conversation is 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 not around please be a nice socially responsible company and hire this homeless person. Mm-hmm. That is not the conversation we have ever had with businesses. The conversation is you have a ton of open roles you cannot fill and we have some great talent and they are ready and raring to go and they are highly trained and highly skilled and they can come to your business and they can add value to your business commercial value to your business and they can add social value to your workforce and diversity and skills and make your business both a more profitable business but also a richer business in the broader sense of the of the term when you first sort of when you first like Tony is 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 a really great example, right? Because I mean, he it's kind of beautiful that he was sort of the the first one that that had the experience and it sort of went ideally. It, it seems like right, he knew what he wanted to do. It, it seemed like working with there was there's usually always open electrician positions, correct? Was it was it as smooth as, as it seemed to be? You know, going talking to Tony and he seemed to be cerebral and kind of understood the concept and then. Was he going to training like a month later? Like what was the process of like in the office, we have a strategic plan. Now let's put it in action to getting a job. So each person on the platform has a support specialist who's an employee of Beam. And again, super transparent. That specific individual is shown on each person's campaign. Okay. So there's this personal human relationship that exists between every person that we help and someone in our Beam team. So they are responsible for supporting that individual on their journey. Now, some people are easier to help and some people are harder to help and and that's fine. But I think all of this is underpinned by the belief that if you give people the right tools Mm -hmm. and you give people a very personalized service, Mm -hmm. then they can often go a really long way by themselves. Now, all of these individuals have have, um, peaks to climb and for some of them, they're kind of hills um, and others are there are big, horrible mountains and, you know, it's thunderstorming and there's rocks and it's dark. And that is the challenge that is in front of them, given where they've come from. Now, I think too often we've been 
as a society be working with individuals like this and go, okay, off you go. Here are mm -hmm. some flip-flops. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Now, for, for us, it's about actually giving them the great tools to do this themselves, to make this climb by themselves, because overwhelmingly, you know, it's them that are going to succeed through this model. Give people some flip-flops and ask them to climb a mountain in bad weather. Most people aren't going to be able to do that. Give them the right tools, give them the boots, give them the rucksack, give them the water bottle, give them what they need. Then people are going to do that. And I think where we are right now is we've invested hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars into building technology services and products, frankly, for people like me, mm -hmm. for uh, mm -hmm. people with, with privilege who can, you know, purchase these goods and services and make the founders and the VCs lots of money. Yep. The problem with that is that we've massively underinvested in providing technology for people who actually need these things much more. <laughs> and this big divide has opened up. Now, first and foremost, of course, that's not right. And it's not fair to the people that we should be serving, who is everyone in our community. But secondly, it's also economically irrational because all of us end up paying the price in terms of um, underskilled workforces, healthcare costs, taxation costs, all kinds of like, all kinds of costs and taxes that we have to meet as a society because we're not providing the right services to everyone in our society. It, it's only superficially uh, a money-saving exercise. It's actually uh, completely economically irrational. And as an example of that, we work with people who've been you know, out of work for years, decades, sometimes their whole life. And for a few thousand pounds, for like less than $5,000, we're able to support that individual to get trained, to provide a valuable service in the local economy, and of course, ultimately to pay tax. And that is a fantastic investment macroeconomically. Yeah. That is a very, very good ROI, if you like, economically. So I'm really excited about us finally beginning to build technology and services that are every bit as good as you or I might be receiving from an Uber or a Netflix for, for much more disadvantaged people in our society. That's an absolute beautiful statement. When, when you first got introduced to, to the gentleman that uh, had a heart attack and, and you were sort of you know talking with, when you left and you said, you know, there, there's something that I can kind of do here. I have a technology, I have a background in technology. I, I've built companies. I, I understand crowdfunding, all these different things that ultimately went into being to, to make it what it is now. When you left it, that, that those first sort of weeks leading up to actually starting Beam, did you assess sort of the homeless issue? Did you go more in depth? It's like, let's look at London as a whole, right? It's like, what are the what are the problems? What are the, the high areas of homelessness? Or is it like, I just want to do this for this one guy? <laughs> or did did you really look at it, assess the, the entire sort of landscape of, was the big idea immediate, I guess? Or was it just like, let's just help out this one guy? I knew that there are people like Tony, and mm -hmm. I knew roughly how many people were involved, and this was a big problem. Um, and I just wanted to test this, frankly, really sort of sense approach. Mm -hmm. Sit down with mm -hmm. people, understand the risks, understand what they want to be doing, remove all of the financial barriers to them doing the job that they want to be doing and help them out along the way. You know, really common sense idea. And I just wanted to see if we could do that um, for one person and then kind of take it, you know, one step at a time, really. I, yeah, I mean, I, I did, a, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I certainly spent like a good amount of time <laughs> kind of Google reading and stuff like that. But I certainly couldn't claim 
either you know then or now frankly to be you know an expert on housing policy or welfare benefits or politics or or you know homelessness compared to people who've been working in this sector for you know years and decades we're lucky to have some great advisors um who 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 have you know do have years and decades of experience in in this space there were people from the kind of homelessness trade body in the uk which is called homeless link who were you know offered some fantastic advice there are some chief executives of some homelessness charities in the uk like connection at st martins and thames reach um and more recently shelter have been offering some you know fantastic advice too it's a very collaborative approach being we certainly don't have all of the answers what we're mm-hmm. trying to do is stitch um stitch things a little better together so you know it's a, it's really a partnership model we're partnered with more than 30 charities who refer people to the platform then the public comes along and crowdfunds their campaigns whether it's to become an electrician or a beautician or an accountant or whatever then training providers do the training then companies hire these individuals and very often government is paying us to provide the service so you know there's a whole range of stakeholders there and for us we see this fantastic opportunity to make progress on a problem as 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 complex as homelessness when we can get everyone kind of working together and everyone playing to their strength that that was actually my next question was what the you know for from a policy standpoint and a governmental standpoint how is how have they reacted because i think you're doing such a an amazing job at solving a problem that would be beneficial to politicians, right? It would be beneficial to the local municipalities. So what has their response been like? I guess you alluded to that. You do work with them at some capacity. So, I mean, was that relationship hard to build or was it right when it came out, you're like, they were just like, let's do something. <laughs> I think that government has been very, very welcoming of of our work, both at kind of a local level and at a national level. And I think, you know, we were invited to Downing Street maybe three times. And there is a real, there's a real interest. I have to like, it's, it's very easy, obviously, to sort of sit back and, and, and slag off politicians. But, you know, there's a lot of people in, in, in government and in our civil service who, you know, profoundly care about mm-hmm. making things better. And the system makes it hard for done in the way they would like yep and obviously the uk political landscape has just been dominated by brexit for a few years now which is you know makes it makes it somewhat challenging but i think government has been you know very very welcoming and is very aware that they don't necessarily have all of the answers and as i was saying before nor do we but i think that when government can work with tech startups and you know collaborate with them in a really smart way i think that's a great way of getting small amounts of input into lots of output because you know one of the things that startups are really great at is going a damn long way with very little fuel in the tank mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> we've built our technology and now processed about 20,000 donations built you know what what i believe to be is a really pioneering model that has massive promise to support homeless people um, and other disadvantaged groups into, into stable, skilled work. And yep. we've done that for like less than half a million dollars. Yeah. You know, which are just obviously like crumbs, shrapnel compared to the sorts of budgets that, you know, the oh, government yeah. is working with every day. So I think it's really exciting actually to see how government is beginning to open its eyes to the potential of startups or what's called GovTech sometimes. So, you know, yep. technology built in part to interface with government. I'm actually speaking at a conference in Paris next week called the Gov Summit, which um, I'm sure would interest you if, you, if you're able to, to get there. And it's run by a, a British 
company called public.io and it's really exciting to see this kind of whole community beginning to come together around um, GovTech and you know what digital can offer governments and obviously indirectly taxpayers and citizens and so many of the government structures we have in place are it became, you know got built and sort of um, solidified pre-internet and the internet has such capacity to improve so much about how we how we work with government and you know we're now this obviously at this crunch point really where you know many people are challenging democracy itself mm-hmm. and how how politicians regain trust with the public in many cases has been dented so much through digital platforms i think digital platforms of different kinds are kind of going to be the way to solve many of these Absolutely. problems as well <laughs> so you know whether that is you know people don't like paying tax but people would mind it less if they could see it to the pound breakdown of where their tax went and they could say okay well um you know maybe i don't agree with like defense budget but, but like okay so you know three cents in the dollar has gone on that and then i can click on what the ministry of defense are trying to achieve and what they're using that money for and yep. why they're doing it and why they think that actually investing in you know nuclear weaponry is, is a good way of keeping us safe uh, at the moment nothing like that really exists so there's this enormous dislocation there's this enormous opacity and I, I i think and hope that some of these things will change you know one of the one of the slightly crazy ideas i have is that each government department should have a cto not a chief technology 100%. officer a chief oh, transparency absolutely. no wait, wait right right a chief technology officer they should have that too a chief transparency officer someone whose job it is to gradually elegantly sensitively help some of these government departments to become more transparent in the way that they're working and to ultimately regain trust with the public no that's that's i think that there's this there's so much there and, and i think that the one thing you you alluded to was you know people don't like paying taxes but the more people who are coming into the workforce that pay taxes will eventually actually lower taxes for for everybody. So I think it it serves as uh, uh, there's all there's all these ancillary purposes that what Beam is doing can can sort of indirectly do right. Whether it's it, it's more tax revenue in, into the system if GovTech continues to grow and mature then that money we hopefully can be used more wisely right and allocated better i think that's the that's the Absolutely. real issue that's the real thing that we see that we think GovTech can do and transparency you could do is say hey why is money going here it's not working the data tells us this is not we don't want to allocate money to this anymore we need to allocate it to this it produces this roi of impact tax revenue whatever whatever that return on investment mm-hmm. is you know there's the new CTO will uh, will decide on you know working with others can decide on what what you need to allocate because that's the thing like you said there's we have so much tax revenue and the issue has always been just allocating it correctly that that's always been the problem I don't think politicians are are bad and, and like you said I mean you you see it day to day month to month there's some there's some truly inspiring politicians that care you know that really. They don't, but they might not have be a tech background, right? They might not come. They might not understand the ability of of some of these technologies and what it can do from you know allocating money correctly um, or crowdfunding to to solve a homeless issue, right? But you could also crowdfund to fix your roads, right? You could also crowdfund to you know get books into schools or right whatever it may be. There, there's a there's a plethora of things yeah. that technology can do for for governments and 
and local communities. But sorry, I go on a soapbox sometimes. But <laughs> but I think that <laughs> yeah, totally. The transparency officer is uh is interesting. And, and I, you said you were going to go to Paris. Was is there? Are there other sort of communities or governments, countries even, reaching out to you, trying to figure out how they can, one, duplicate the model or work with you to create something like that in their own their own city? We're beginning to have these conversations, but we're pretty focused on London right now. But, you know, very interested. I'm, I'm actually going to be in Milk and Boston the next couple of weeks and we'll be meeting a, a few people there and just having some sort of early early conversations we're sort of remaining open-minded we think it, it has potential in 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 other cities for sure um but you know very focused on executing it here i think one of the one of the things is like the technology you know the crowdfunding platform yes there's quite a few quirks with ours but like it's not super hard to build that right but really the very very challenging um, aspect of this is building the operational model that underpins it all that is working with vulnerable people and doing that in a way that is safe and scalable and considers all of the complexities and individualities of people's life and there is so much edge case if you like when you're providing the service um there's so many permutations of different setups you could have with people's you know benefit status or training status or work status or health mm -hmm. it's kind of a rubik's cube and so there's a lot more that we can do to to improve the operational model. And we definitely don't want to be kind of distracted. Ultimately, we want to build you know, the best employability service for disadvantaged people in the world. And we can, you know, London is a city to, to, to be in to, to work on that. Yeah, how I see it is that you're you're almost trying to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is a, a pretty big statement, but it, you're almost trying, not trying to, but it's just happening. You're disrupting the social services industry, so to speak, where at least here in America, social services are very difficult, you know, job to be in, right? You don't get paid a lot. You're dealing with very stressful situations and people in, you know, very, very stressful lives, right? That have a lot going on. But yeah, well, I think but. we didn't we didn't see it that way, actually, because we are providing a, a really valuable service for those individuals on the front line in social services. Mm -hmm. So they refer people to us using an online referral right. form. Right. And what we're allowing them to do is essentially, as you say, they're under a lot of pressure. They have big workloads. A lot of them are not paid nearly what they should be for the great work that they're doing. Yep. And we exist to help them to achieve uh achieve their, their goals for the, for the people they're working with so they can refer people to us and we will help get those individuals essentially uh you know into work and back on their feet and it's a way for them to actually shrink down their caseload and redirect their resources to um people that are perhaps more chronically in need and aren't quite ready for that next step to go into training and work so for for them it's really a great it, it's it's a great service um and it's also on a human level you know they got into that job because they want to see people succeed um they want to see people help and for us to come along and help them to help yeah. their people yeah progress is something that they find really fulfilling so you know that they, they will follow the updates they maybe they work with someone when this individual was in a really bad place and then through their support, that individual got to be a better place. 
and then they refer them to Beam and they watch that individual get trained, get into work, really flourish through this model. And it's a big experience for them as well, because they're sometimes these individuals' primary support network and, you know, biggest cheerleader in the world. You almost accidentally built the product for them. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you kind of built it to help, you know, to help homeless individuals and, and help people support that. But then the platform is also becoming a, a great uh, product in the lives of people in social services or people working at these, these you know, shelters or, or nonprofits. I mean, you know, technology for them is, is just as important, right? Because you said they're, they're on the front lines sure. of, of, of trying to deliver you, you know, the, the people that they think deserve th this chance and, and can actually uh, fulfill this opportunity. So it, it's just another way. I think the platform you guys have built is serving so many different areas whether intentional or unintentional, right? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be in two, three years, there's going to be another area where it's like, oh, this is kind of impacting this area too. And we just we kind of didn't realize it in the beginning, but this is kind of what it matured into. So I'll, I'll end on on the last question. And I, I like to maybe look at a longer term approach. I know that's difficult to do sometimes, but over the next sort of five years or, or maybe a decade, is there a sort of North Star or, or vision or mission that you really, really want to get to to say, you know, we have been successful in, in what we are doing. Yeah, well, how many years do you say I have? <laughs> <laughs> let's just go. Let's just do. Let's just do like the next decade. Let's see if let's see if we if that'll work or five to ten years. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think we need to be working well outside of London. Uh, I imagine the service will exist in quite a few countries around the world and will be uh you know very integrated into the the system in those cities that is supporting disadvantaged people to move forward with their lives and become both socially integrated and economically productive and i also think we'll be working with probably other disadvantaged groups outside of mm -hmm. um homeless people and I, th I think we'll also you know have built a, a i hope we will have built a really really trusted um in the area of social mobility mm. and you know, what i'm what we're trying to do really is pioneer a service for government that i call social mobility as a service you know, if if city hall in i don't know marseille or phoenix arizona or sao paulo or it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter mm -hmm. they have some money and they want to take that money and they want to support people who are struggling in their community to get trained to get employed in local businesses then they should be able to purchase that like they can purchase, you know, paper um, or, or mm -hmm. vehicles from General Motors. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to be an absolutely world-class service um, at providing that. And, you know, I think we do that by focusing first and foremost on the people that we're helping. And as long as we keep that, you know, real laser focus on providing just the most amazing service for them and, and treating them, as I said before, just as well as a, an Uber or a Netflix treat someone who's a millionaire then you know i think we're going to stay on the right track well thank you so much alex i mean it's been a, it's been a real treat like i said i've been following you guys for a while and it's it's really uh inspiring to see what you've built so far and and best of luck to you and the team and it's uh it's truly it's truly just a, it's just a great vision and mission that you have and, and i see it just hopefully expanding you know to a global to a global platform and, and you know we see uh you know, we see homelessness sort of eradicated like a like a like a disease or something that we just solve and figure it out and, and we have full employment by those who can work and then full employment by, you know, people in the streets and we no longer have to sort of deal with uh with this issue. So kudos to you and your team and, and, and best of luck.
brilliant. Well, look, thanks so much for the kind words. I really enjoyed chatting, Grant. And um, yeah, stay in touch. Thanks for your time.